0: That's right, at Facebook.com slash show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And Eric Shaw Quinn, I just have to say something. I was going to say before we begin, but we Well, I hope begun. so, because otherwise it's going to be a really long, dull podcast. I <laughs> just have to say that we recently crossed the one-year anniversary of the shutdowns here in California, and pretty much everywhere throughout the world. Around March 16th, the whole world fin- finally yes, on collectively my birthday, shut down. On yeah.
1: my birthday. The world closed.
0: Happy belated birthday, by the yeah, way. right. Um, uh, we don't, you have cooked up a storm during the pandemic. You have tried new recipes. You have experimented with almond flour in ways previously unknown to man. I talk baked a us, thunder boomer. <laughs> talk to us about dirty macaroni pie because I think that's
1: something our party people need to know about immediately. Really? That's what oh, thats what you really have to say. I thought it was like mm-hmm. what's he going to want to talk about? It's like oh he wants me to talk about it. Um, dirty macaroni pie is kind of the perfect um, keto friendly deliciousness comfort food. Um, it's Uh, I found elbow macaroni that's made out of vegetables, so Mm -hmm. there's no wheat in it, Um, and then, you know, good old delicious, uh, I think it's Farmer John's sausage, just sort of browned up with onions Mm -hmm. and mixed in with—I initially was trying to do a dirty rice thing. I make amazing dirty rice, but rice is its own unique thing, and I found some cauliflower rice that was— Dehydrated, so I was thinking that it would soak up some of the deliciousness like rice does, and it didn't and you can do mm. it with the frozen riced cauliflower and it's nice, but it also doesn't absorb the rice absorbs the the deliciousness so that didn't work so um I'd done the but I found um and if I had known I was going to be doing this this morning, I would have the brand names, but I found this wonderful um Dirty rice spice um, from back home. So I added that to the um, the onions and and sausage and then added that to the macaroni uh, and cheese, obviously. And then uh, I made a an almond flour crust. I have been experimenting with almond flour baking because I didn't want to use grain and I was trying to be keto and it's made out of almonds. So you're good. Um, so I made a crust out of that and then baked it all. So it's really, ultimately you could make it without all of the without the keto part. You could just make regular macaroni with sausage and onions and dirty rice spices in a, in a crust. Um. Which is kind of what inspired me. But this way, I'm actually eating something that's pretty healthy. It's mm-hmm. almond crust, vegetable macaroni, and then there's the fats from the uh, the sausage and the cheese, but that's very much in keeping with the keto diet. So, you know, it's kind of a yeah. healthy choice, but it's, it's amazing. It is just mm-hmm. like the, the greatest risk is like not eating the whole pie. Mm-hmm. It's so delicious that when you How big a is the total
0: it, pie that you make? What's the approximate size of it?
1: Well, I make it in a deep dish, um, like a uh, Corningware casserole. So it's pretty good sized. You know, mm-hmm. it is. That it's not like the pieces are skimpy. They're, well, I'll say, three or four inches deep, and then. I guess it's probably about a 10 inch diameter. It's diameter across the circle or around the circumference I, uh, is around? W- I think diameter is across the circle. So We're getting no, a signal getting, from our... Yeah, I'm getting the signal.
0: It's a mathematics thing. It just comes dangerously well, close to math, which we are not experts at here at The
1: circumference is around the circle. So what's the measurement across the circle? The diameter. Oh, I am okay. getting it right. Oh, okay. Well, what we good. need is a hand. What we need is it. a
0: hand signal for Eric is getting it right, as opposed to this is what diameter is. Thumbs up, Eric. You got it right. That's what we need. That's
1: a note for our tech booth for
0: next time. Well, anyway,
1: in that it was a math thing. It was only a. It was a crapshoot that I would get it right, right. Right. So I lucked into that, but yeah. So you know, good sized. Um I, yeah. I think I, it's a, It. I. It's a. Practically a week's worth of dinner, maybe mm-hmm. a, maybe at least that. But yeah,
0: probably okay. five
1: days worth of dinner. Um, and just one of the most delicious things that I've also experimented with quiches with the mm-hmm. um with the the uh, the almond flour crust, which was pretty delicious. And then of course the amazing discovery of. Bacon wrapped chicken, which that I just was, think is I, and I think we have talked about yes. bacon wrapped
0: chicken before. Well, it was and one I of my like, favorite
1: things of the year. For yeah, and I New feel Year's like bacons. we're uh,
0: we're gonna have we're maybe gearing up to a re- Eric's recipe episode. But I think what we will definitely do is a Wednesday question on our Facebook page, asking people for their favorite recipes. Oh, if you're not yeah. following us on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page, we do something every Wednesday called the Wednesday Question, and if we don't do it. Angelina Farmer remind reminds us, us to do it, right? <laughs> so, yeah, we'll definitely do that. Another thing I wanted to say before we dive into today's true crime TV club, which is we we don't we can't really say much, but what we can say is that after our interview with Detective John Lombardi of LAPD Homicide about the William Newton murder, which we have talked about consistently, right. Um, Things are continuing to develop with the investigation. It's too soon to give an update, but he let us know that things are, he's continuing to explore things and that um, there will be hopefully more to come and more to discuss here. And he's future. still
1: interested. I mean, so yeah. what's that address, Christopher?
0: William Newton Investigation. At gmail.com. That is our designated tip email address. If you know anything about the as yet unsolved murder and he was even
1: when we interviewed him, he was like, you know, if no matter how out there it seems, Mm -hmm. you know, if if you think you saw something or you saw something that seems suspicious, like if you were in West Hollywood for Halloween in nineteen ninety, right? October
0: 1990, yes, that's correct. And if you need further information about the case, like the date of the murder, we discuss it in episodes 37, 48, 60, and 63. I actually wrote those down this time so that I didn't forget them during the podcast. Wow, but yeah. and
1: kind of all the time. But yeah, those yeah. are the big nuggets of information. But uh, Detective Lomberti was very much interested in continuing to hear, because he says, at this point in an investigation, it's the long shots. So- Maybe you were here um, visiting West Hollywood you weren't actually from here and you left um, after Halloween, but you took a bunch of pictures and there's this blonde guy walking down the street with somebody behind you in the picture or whatever. Like maybe there's something that you saw that you didn't realize that you saw and we've got that tip line and uh, and you can get in touch with us or, or, you know, with the LAPD. But if you get in touch with us, we'll pass it along to them for sure. Absolutely.
0: Um, and yeah, just this sort of Cliff Notes version here. William Newton was known as Billy London. He was a performer in gay adult films. Uh, his severed head and feet were found in trash bags in a dumpster in Hollywood the morning after he was last seen alive at Rage Nightclub in West Hollywood. And we here on the podcast first reported the account from a potential eyewitness who says that he saw Billy leave Rage Nightclub in the presence of a previously unidentified man who bore a striking resemblance to a terrifying serial killer whose crimes are well known at this point in history. And so that's all covered on those previous episodes, 37, 48, 60, and 63, and we will continue to talk about it as well. But yeah, that's just, that's the Cliff Notes version. There's much more to the story. Um, But the update is,
1: things are in process. It's just too soon for a full-fledged update from us, but we will keep you posted as things come in.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, it's time for today's True Crime TV Club. Um... Is it I now that you've decided? Is...
1: I think you should talk about, Christopher has been cooking up a storm, too. And no, has I have become, not. And no. has become, oh, yes, you've become quite the impressive, like, he was talking about butterflying a piece of, uh, like, a, a pork chop or something the other day. And I was like, <laughs> wow, I, I don't even know what that means exactly. But, like, yeah, Christopher has become quite the roaster. He's the roast master.
0: <laughs> you have told a story around that because I said, Eric, I'm thinking of doing something I've never heard talked about before. And he was like, what and why? And I said, I'm going to, because I don't have a grill outside and my broiler is sort of broken. I've got an air fryer that you recommended that has a broiler component. I'm going to bake the steak. I'm going to place it in the oven and Bake it. Have you ever heard of that before? And Eric said, Yes, I
1: have. And it's called (laughs) roasting. Oh right! It's like, why do you think they call it roast? Because the reason he was going to bake it was because it was so big and so thick. And I was like, yeah. well, that's kind of how roast works." Yeah, that's that's why they call it roast. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I okay, and I will tell. This has become, I, and I'm just going to say, maybe spoiler alert: the amount we're talking about um, recipes is probably a, a statement on the complexity of the crime we'll be discussing in this edition of True Crime TV Club. But, um. I, uh, butterflying is something that I talk about better than I do. Let me just put that out there. I should actually send you pictures. But of you're aware
1: like. of what it is, which I was really impressed with. Christopher's always making pork chops and T-bone steaks and whatever. He mm-hmm. went, he went crazy at yamaha steaks or whatever it is and ordered a whole refrigerator he took the the shelves out of his freezer and he can't find them anymore
0: (laughs) (laughs) i don't know where they are so he has an
1: upright chest freezer
0: in his, in his kitchen now totally i i omaha steaks yeah that was when things were looking bad and i was afraid that the food supply chain in this country was going to be permanently disrupted um uh, butterflying I know about thanks to my aunt Nancy who did not like she's the Texas lady half my family is from Texas and she's would always order steak and she would say I don't want any pink or red in it and if that means you have to butterfly then so be it and I was like okay and what it means is if the steak is thick you basically cut it almost all the way open so that it flops open like a butterfly <laughs> it's disgusting when you really talk about it so that Really, the entire interior of what was once a filet is now exposed to the heat, and it browns all the way through. I don't do it to brown it all the way through. I do it if it's such a thick piece of meat. I'm not, It's going to be raw in the middle. I like medium. I'm a medium meat guy. Well, I think everyone's uh, asleep, so maybe we should do True Crime okay. TV Club now.
1: Well, I just wanted to get you give you some props, too, because you're always talking about, like, I'm somehow this. But you've actually been... Like we've been trapped inside and you've become oh, quite fuck. the cook over over the time you've developed your own uh saving kale using my um <laughs> uh, yeah. my uh my collard green recipe to make kale that he wound up with i think accidentally yes. as a substitution on a an instacart order or something but yeah you've become right. quite the adventurous cook the i don't know if you're barefoot but <laughs> <laughs> I actually am barefoot right now. I was like, so, "Are my feet on yeah. the
0: FaceTime?" Yeah, the I'm barefoot, barefoot chef. The barefoot chef. I I have more admiration for your cooking because there's a health component. There's an overarching like eliminating flour, eliminating sugar. Like you're, I'm sort of. Is it? Does it taste good? And will it stay still long enough to cook? That's really my guiding principle right now, and it's why I've eaten. I'm getting sick of meat. I'm, I'm sort of tailing out on and the let's eat as much that, meat as we that can.
1: Won't, you eat a lot of things that don't stay still long enough to cook them.
0: We should probably move on. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I just, you know, it's like, you know, it's a. Is, I'm just. A is Army eater.
1: Hammer coming over for dinner? Like, oh my god.
0: <laughs> No, he is not. He is not. I do have him pick out my best peaches, though. Okay. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Stick around for the joke. There we go. Nice follow-up. Absolutely. Okay. So that, that ought we... to
1: kill about 20 minutes
0: of the show, huh? Is that, was
1: that your plan? <laughs> and
0: 20, 20 listeners, I think, probably checked out, too. Okay. So are we going to do True Crime TV Club now? Are we going to talk about The Perfect Murder, Season 5, Episode 9, entitled Jump Shot? I-
1: and if I say no?
0: <laughs> we're just going to wing it. We're just going to say... No, whatever. this okay.
1: week we're going to talk about our trip to Disneyland 25 years ago. Um, Yeah, no. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's time for Perfect Murder, I, I, okay. I guess. Although I think we're about to get the signal. <laughs> so right after this break, we will begin True Crime TV Club with A Perfect Murder Season 2... Season five, episode
0: nine. Not even close, Eric. (laughs) I got diameter, though. All right, now that we're finally going to fucking do this edition of True Crime TV Club, let me give my usual disclaimer, okay? True Crime TV Club does not endorse or... No, that's actually not it. Um, You are party people... are not required to watch the episode that we are about to discuss. If we do our job, we will have made you feel like feel, feel like you had watched it. And according to Cindy Conforti, our version is much better because we don't repeat after every commercial break. And most of what we do cover has commercial breaks built into it organically. Today's episode is uh, season five of The Perfect Murder. It's episode nine. It's entitled Jump Shot. I have some takeaways which i think don't spoil the whole thing that i maybe wanted to start with where, for more. where
1: is this available is it where, oh, i can't even remember i think we watched uh, it on discover I, discover no. plus is this amazing new yes
0: it uh, is did you watch it on, on discover
1: plus on amazon i think so i think i watched everything yeah i think so mm-hmm.
0: i didn't i actually bought the damn episode on amazon so i'm now disappointed because i subscribed to discover plus but that is, if you're listening to us and you're a true crime nut, you really should look into Discover Plus. And we are not... Oh, my God. Discovery Plus, right? Isn't that it? Discovery, Discovery Plus, yeah. yes.
1: And then there's also ID case files or something.
0: But that's the thing. I think Discovery Plus is like eating the id channel on amazon prime and apple tv it's like it's got all the same contents under a single membership oh, yeah. and bundle. and so much but it's more. also discovery got, plus
1: is amazing i yeah didn't mean to be an ad for them but i i'm so far i'm pretty happy with that addition to my
0: library yeah we are all right we what are would not you like to say we're not right? uh, paid and we're not being paid by discovery plus i just want but to we that would love
1: way. to be so if they want to yeah. send a check that would be great
0: yeah Okay, my takeaways. You want to hear my takeaways? Okay, um, a lot of people pivotal to the case, uh, were not identified by name, but they were played full bore by reenactors. This was really reenacting. spectacular.
1: I mean, I would ca- I would call this um, uh, dramatized. I wouldn't call it reenactment. Like they okay. actually, yeah. it was it was to the point. It wasn't like an episode of. SVU or something, but it was dramatized and not amazingly, you know, there was a lot of like, in lieu of narration, they presented a lot of stuff. They kind of acted it out. The detectives were a particular fail. I thought they,
0: they were right, but, and they were never identified by name unless I missed it because this is what I do with my notes. I get everybody's name down.
1: I don't know who they were playing. Like yeah. maybe they were identified, but I missed it if they were identified. And they were really, because they were just fill, uh, playing the parts, they really like, so they'd have detectives and go, well, here's the information from his cell phone provider. Like mm-hmm. they would say lines like that. Right. Because that was the next piece of information they were going to introduce. So they it was kind of a thankless job for them. Mm-hmm. Um, And yet they were being presented in a dramatized sort of way. So it just kind of came. I don't blame the actors. I just think the material they were working with wasn't really up to the level of dramatization that they did. That said, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this was... That they really, really focused on the ins and outs of the investigation itself. Yeah, that's very true. Right. They were like wave after wave of, they thought it was this, and this is how we thought it was going to be. And they would do a sort of, then they would do a reenactment of how they thought it was going to be. Right. And then they would go through the discussion of that, and we'll get to it as we go back through. And I'm going to depend on you, because you did a different thing with the notes this week, so... If you can remember the timeline of the ins and outs of the investigation, I, I'm gonna rely on you to do it because I couldn't do it. I couldn't recreate it. Are you saying that my notes failed you? Have my notes I, failed I, you, Eric Shawquin? I, <laughs> I, you tried something new this time, and mm-hmm. inst- there's no timeline. Mm-hmm. There's no point in the notes. You did all the characters, and you did the, um, you did a recap but usually you do a timeline that goes play by play through oh, okay it. And so I've done that I, I don't well if you can do it I, I think well it's here's fine. the thing I, I just the... don't feel like I could remember the the ins and outs
0: of the investigation well here's the thing for the most part the timeline is is structured by the appearance of the people so the the, the names of the characters are in chronological order from when they appear so I think it'll come together but also okay. Eric Jaquen, That's a good thought. You have perfect recall. I can call you about an episode of Midsummer Murders you watched 9 years ago and you'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's the one with the gazebo's wood was poisoned and the garden party 10 people passed out and died." You know, so I have more faith in you, but I will do better notes next time. I apologize for that.
1: No, um, I don't I'm not looking for. I was just like, "Oh, well this is new." Um so anyway, so we'll see how this goes. But yeah, I thought so it was sort of a mixed bag with the presentation. I thought that yes. it was an interesting exploration of the investigation i thought that the style of the production was a little unusual and and the talking heads made me laugh. That's out
0: loud. my second takeaway. The talking heads were my favorite of all. They're oh in my front God. of a green screen that looks really cheap, but oh my God, Judge Patricia DeMongo, I think that's how you say her name, I feel like she's the sophisticated older aunt of the Long Island medium who's always trying to get her to do something better with her hair. I had to write that joke in our notes. Fingers
1: crossed. I yeah. think I think she keeps hearing bigger as opposed to better. <laughs> and then they're taller was- every year.
0: And then there was Stephanie Fisher who matched her radiant blue top to her blue eyes and it was like oh my god and her every line delivery she was, was a reporter. perfect. Yes, absolutely. And then it was, it Jennifer was three Gold was the reporters and the judge. Jennifer Gold – I just have to give them all props and whatever because we're probably not going to talk about them specifically again. Jennifer Gold had incredible cheekbones and a flame red tie. I know it's sounding like the fashion report,
1: but these were like such – this is such an L.A. story. This is an L.A. – It was really – and they were very L.A. reporters. The one guy was a little sort of – more reportery. He was a little more, you know, doggy. The ears. guy who was sitting um, inexplicably
0: to one side for reasons that were not I clear. He was sort of yeah. I don't
1: have. A, I don't know what that was about. It was an odd uh, camera angle for him. But yeah, they were all three. There was the judge from Hot Bench. What the fuck is Hot Bench? I know. I was like, <laughs> I gotta find this show. Who is this? The judge on this? This woman who looks like. I mean, like. This is the, the accessories model from Bergdorf Goodman, you know. The, yeah, um, right. You know, I, I think her hair was gray, but beautiful. It was I mean, gorgeous. And-
0: I wanted the judge and Stephanie and Julie, I think her name is, to get into Mercedes and go out and solve crimes themselves. That was the show I wanted to see. And, and they that's looked not like we the saw. wealthy
1: friends of the people from this crime who had gotten together to do the show. It was a very sort of Simi Valley Investigates. You know, it was these lovely, yeah. very well-groomed Calabasas residents who were um, all dolled up for uh, for this particular. I, just astonishing. I have I I have rarely, if ever, seen talking heads who were as perfectly flawlessly styled as those mm-hmm. three women. It was, it was astonishing.
0: I uh, realized as we started this, I had seen this case covered on Dateline twice. I had watched the episode twice, not recognizing it the second time. This is such an oh. LA story. I think it was easy for them to cover. The victim is an attractive male and a former college and basketball. And it went on for a long time. I could see yeah, how there could it, be two mm-hmm. different
1: versions of this on Dateline because it really, it took the investigation took quite a while. Yeah. So um, that said, I
0: think there is more time spent in the reenactments, at least, to the uh, detective speculations about what happened before they solve it, which they do in black and white, than there is to the actual murder. So but let's get into it. And even though I fucked up the notes this week, I will I will do the best to sort of recreate the timeline. Do not
1: (laughs) turn this into to that. I did not say that you did the notes (laughs) differently this week. That is not what I am saying.
0: Okay, good. I just like to give people a little. I like
1: all the the headings and the bars. I thought, really? (laughs) It's like, wow, this is fancy. Okay.
0: Uh, Gavin Smith is a former UCLA basketball star and model. Uh, who later in his life had gone into the corporate side of the film business, working in distribution for 20th Century Fox, which as of this recording is sort of no more. It has merged with Disney and is now, I think it's 20th Century. I don't remember what they're all called, but this was a time in L.A. history where it existed as its own studio. Uh, He's married with three sons. When the show opens, his reenactor is playing basketball with his oldest son, Evan, and through some very stilted dialogue, poorly delivered, we're told that Gavin and his wife, Evan's mother, have separated for reasons which are not made immediately clear. What a generous clear. description, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it's
1: got it. Just shot. it was way too much dramatization for a script of this quality. It was like it it, really they really was. should have like, yeah, they had to yeah. show something and that's what they did. They didn't have a lot of visuals. They didn't have a lot of video. I don't even know if we saw any actual pictures of the real people. I can't even remember that. I don't um, think we did. I except yeah. for, for Eventually,
0: at the end, and I'll get to that at the end, they showed some courtroom photographs at the
1: very end that were real. Um, but yeah, so they didn't have anything to cover the, the voiceover with, so they just had the actors do what would be, it was basically the voiceover work. So all the dialogue was exposition. Exactly. And the poor actors were forced to Try and sound like they were having a conversation sitting in the bleachers after playing a little, I don't know which is a pickup basketball. I made that up. I have no idea about <laughs> basketball. Though we did pick this because it's going to air originally during March Madness, which is apparently a basketball thing. Uh, we actually don't know anything about basketball. That's how I was going to start the episode. I was going to be like,
0: Eric, could you explain March Madness to our party people who don't understand it? Because I'm one.
1: Ask President Obama. He does brackets every year. I think it's some kind of collegiate basketball playoff. And people get completely carried away. My old friend Pete um, used to just lose his mind over it. Um, and uh, it was great because he and his wife was a former producer of mine. Uh, Jean was my old producer. And we would go out celebrating uh, my birthday. And he would stay and watch... Endless basketball games. But yeah, so this was chosen because it's happening. It premieres during March Madness, which is apparently a basketball thing. And right, as as President Obama.
0: And as we said, Gavin Smith is a former UCLA basketball star who, when we first meet him, they're making it pretty clear early on that his glory days are in his past. Uh, He's staying on the sofa of a friend. Her name is Melissa Zeff. This is because of the separation from his wife. There's apparently no sexual relationship between him and Melissa, which, given what we learn about Gavin, is a surprise. Um, I kind
1: of had the impression that we were looking at a lot of, like, sobriety buddies. I know I'm jumping ahead in the story, yeah. but right. I that was sort of the impression that I was getting as we went through this. Um, People who are in 12-step programs develop a, a sort of support network around mm-hmm. them. And mm-hmm. I had the impression that a number of the people that we were encountering were part of his sobriety support group, sobriety support right. group that had built up around him. Because the wife's reaction to... The fact that he was staying with this woman was very sort of... You know, there it it didn't have any sort of suspicion. She was very trusting right. and accepting of this woman, as though she had been a long time part of their life in a trusted sort of advisory kind of way. So maybe she was his sponsor or somebody who he knew from mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. his program. Because, right. as you will see, he had developed also in later life, and among other things, uh, substance abuse issues.
0: Right, and that becomes immediately clear when Gavin vanishes one night, right after coming home from Las Vegas. He's not there the following morning. Melissa is wondering where he is. His wife is uh, very worried about him, even though they're separated. She goes to the sheriff's department. It becomes clear um, that well, I think what happens is the detectives go to his workplace. They're interviewing people there. They're all saying Gavin was very well liked, and then a, an unidentified coworker gestures the detectives aside, says, listen, I got to tell you, Gavin me had a problem. Lot. Right, meet me in a parking lot. I don't want to talk about this in the office. Um, Gavin had a pain pill problem. I did too, which is how I know this. He tried to help me. I tried to help him. I'm worried that if he's missing now, it means that he fell off the wagon, you know? So then so then that's revealed. Um, they also... So they, they, the detectives start to fan out. They talk to So him. their
1: first theory is that he went out to score... Right, went to a CD place to do it, and was in bad company. And that people who wanted his car or his wallet or whatever robbed him and killed him. Um, mm-hmm. And that's or, acted
0: out in black and white, as all of their theories are. Their theories. It's theory developing. one was yeah. that
1: perhaps in, in reengaging with his uh, his addiction, that perhaps he had participated in some behavior that put him at risk, and that's what happened. So that was their first working theory.
0: Uh, Exactly. So they fan out and talk to a bunch of his close friends, none of whom are identified by name, but all of whom are played by reenactors. And they say that Gavin had gotten weird around sporting events and the viewing of sporting events in a way that suggested to him that he was betting on them. And that he would, he was no longer any fun to watch a game with, specifically a basketball game, because that had been a sport, at a sports bar, because his friend said one time the TV went out and he just ran from the bar. It's like, I have to see the rest of this game. Like, it wasn't about Right, fun. he had to know about- how it turned
1: out. And what led the detectives in this direction was he was tremendously in debt. It was yes. apparently right after the crash in twenty in 2008, mm-hmm. um, and their house was up so their mortgage was upside down or underwater or whatever you want to right. call it they they couldn't get what they paid for their house so they couldn't really refi so they exactly. couldn't so they were yeah. stuck and so there was that and then there was a lot of other debt and apparently he was quite an extravagant person anyway he had some spending issues anyway Big so spender. Yeah. that combined and uh, they were they were cons- so it, it led them into a new line of investigation
0: and a new line of speculation, too, which is was it possible that Gavin was using his inside connections at UCLA basketball to give tips to bookies and to place advantageous bets? It didn't seem like they had a lot of basis for that speculation. Like they do a black and white reenactment, uh, physical trainer at UCLA, but he's not actually identified as a real person and he's not interviewed, you know, so we don't right, know. Right, but if they he were existed.
1: investigating whether or not he was hanging around there. They also did a a reenactment of him being uh beaten up by a couple of thugs who he let down on one of his inside tips which was like which they had no proof of whatsoever so it was sort of like Okay, well, that's a yeah, that's, thought, but, but not really a thing. I,
0: let's pause on that thought. Like, I don't want to get too sanctimonious here, but what are the what are the ethics of doing that in a show where you're actually tasked with reenacting an actual crime? I mean, that is kind of confusing for the viewer to reenact a theory for which you have no basis or evidence.
1: Well, that was the thing that, I, like I said at the beginning, that was one of the things that I found interesting about this particular presentation, like mm-hmm. I had some problems with the production values themselves, but the way in which they explored the ins and outs of the actual investigation, mm-hmm. um, I found really fascinating. Whoa. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car.
0: So I'm not clear on how far ahead after his disappearance this event actually was, and you jump in and let me know if you remember, but there's a big leap forward in the investigation when they get Gavin's cell phone records and they get the number of the last person to whom he placed a call, which was dun-dun-dun, a woman and her name is Shandrika Cade and her friends call her I feel like they called her two different things during the course of the episode the talking heads some called her Chandy and some called her Crandy or Candy or Cranberry I don't know they they
1: I thought it was Shandy, but Shandy whatever
0: okay um so they they go to her house and they say, you know, did you hear from Gavin that night? And he's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's just a friend of mine from rehab. We met a while ago and we've stayed in touch. And, yeah, we just had a chat. And, you know, it's 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 all good, man. <laughs> Thir-
1: thirteenth step.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we will explain what that means in a bit. OK. So then they get a tip, right? That was the next thing that happened. Some they've plastered Gavin's face all over the news, and it's a it's a telegenic face, so it's getting a lot of attention. He was he was white, he was privileged, he was wealthy, he was a former. There athlete. was a
1: moment when they found a body in the Angeles Forest that they right. thought maybe was him, and they put the family through that, and it turned out that it wasn't. And there was I mean, time really passed during the process, the the course of this investigation, and. I don't know how they were still holding out hope that he was still around, but there was some thought that maybe he had run away to escape from his debts or from the pressures of his life. But the family didn't see that as a real thing. But uh, on the flip side, they kind of didn't give up hope either that they might Mm -hmm. find him again. I don't know where they thought he would be, but uh, there was no body. There was no identification of where, what had happened to him. They had no clue as to where he was.
0: If you have experience with addicts in your life, it is pot- they often sometimes just disappear and come back. It doesn't mean they're dead. They'll go missing, they'll go on a run, they'll go whatever. Now I don't know how long you can keep up hope. Years starts to turn into something beyond, but addicts, if you have friends who are deep in addiction, they'll sometimes just drop out and then reappear and try to clean themselves up. So maybe that's what they were hoping for with Gavin.
1: I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't clear because this was so dramatized and so not reported. Yeah. Okay. So let me get to the... the,
0: This is now a trend. We've seen this in two different recent episodes that we've covered on True Crime TV Club. And I'm not normally in the business of giving advice to psychopathic murderers or murderers. But if you are going to commit a murder of any kind, a storage unit is not your friend. Which we soon learn because... Up and oh, I skipped over the tip that they got, but that was a dead end. Somebody called from and said I saw Gavin in a little town on the central coast of California called Morro Bay, which is actually a lovely little place that I visit frequently, but that has nothing to do with this case. Um, The detectives drive up there. They look at the security footage from the restaurant. It looks like Gavin, but it's totally not Gavin, and it's just a waste of everybody's time.
1: But that's what I mean. They explored all of the different avenues that they, that they investigated, which to me was the most interesting aspect of this because that was a complete dead end, and yet they included it in the story. And
0: they, and suddenly everyone at the restaurant in Morro Bay talked like they were from Long Island or something. Like they were, it was like this melange of country accents that you will not hear if you actually go to Morro Bay, California. It's only three hours no. drive from Los Angeles and an yeah, hour it was, about it was an hour like, from Santa Barbara.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, it was the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Does <laughs> the disappearance of Gavin? So anyway, um, in Simi Valley, which is really.
0: Close to Los Angeles and is probably known to non-LA people as the venue for the Rodney King trial, which resulted in the riots and unrest that broke out afterwards. But anyway, Simi Valley. There's a storage facility. The owner of this facility decides to break into a unit, which is justified because the unit's owner is uh, or unit's tenant is uh, guilty of non-payment. So. This is the subject of reality shows, storage wars, all this sort of stuff. If you don't pay your rent on a storage facility, they can break in. And I think they can just sell your stuff. Yeah. So this, this guy breaks into a unit and finds a trashed, bloodstained Mercedes that turns out to belong to Gavin. So they find out the reason the guy has not paid for the storage unit is because he's in prison. <laughs> Which is like, was he in prison thinking I should really do something about this storage unit? I might want to make some calls with some coded language. I don't know. Does the term auto pay mean anything to you? And so they find the man's name is John Creech and they track him down. And it turns out guess who he's married to? Dun, dun, dun. Chandrika. Cade, she of the multiple nickname Shandy. So they go. This was my favorite um, line of dialogue, I think, which was like the detective being like, So why didn't you tell us before that you were married to a violent ex con who's in prison on a series of drug offenses? And she's like, I just said, I didn't think it was, I don't know. It's not relevant. I didn't, <laughs> you didn't ask. And she tries like everything. It's like, okay. Um, so they, um, She eventually, they bring her in for questioning and I think they just nail her to the wall and eventually she caves and she says, she tells them what happened, which is yes, Gavin placed a phone call to her the night he went missing. She snuck out on her husband and went to meet him. Because
1: they were lovers. Like what she reveals to them is that they had actually been lovers. The 13th step in recovery, there are 12 steps in the program of recovery. It's Mm -hmm. a 12 step program. All kinds of different programs use them. Um, and mm-hmm. they're based on the twelve steps of, uh, I guess, Alcoholic Alcoholics Anonymous. But you know, right. there's but there's overeaters and Cocaine Anonymous, and there are mm-hmm. lots of twelve step programs, and in, I guess included the Pillhead Anonymous or whatever Narco- that would narcotics be. Um, <laughs> Narcotics <laughs> Anonymous. <laughs> and the thirteenth step, which is not actually an official part, would be. ...sleeping with somebody else from the program. It's called 13th Stepping, and uh, that's clearly what happened. They met and hooked up in rehab and had been on again, off again. He called her the night of his disappearance, and they hooked up. Mm -hmm. And then... Really hooked up. They hooked up in his parked car in a parking
0: lot... And it turns out John Creech, Chandy's husband, had decided to put a GPS tracker on her phone, I think, or her car, one or the other. And
1: was depicted as being asleep in the apartment with her while she was on the phone with him and uh, maybe feigning it because he was so suspicious that she was sleeping around on him. Mm Mm-hmm. So John follows them, pulls Gavin out
0: of the car, and beats him to death. Literally, that's what happens, beats him to death. He then calls two friends... And makes them help him bury the body in Angeles Crest National Forest. Chandy also helps him. But because Chandy and these two accomplices turn state's evidence and the accomplices are never identified, um, they get total immunity. They agree to testify against John in court. Did they? Yeah, I think they did. I was sort of sitting I there like they
1: got some kind of stuff, but maybe I can't remember anymore. So Yeah, well, it maybe. wasn't the most detailed special But so maybe John they just is the one immunity. who got the really yeah. John got the, the bulk of it. And the, I, this is the part where I feel like they were lying. Um, I feel like he was protecting her. Like the way she describes the story is she when when the violent ex-husband got there and began beating um, her lover to death, she got in her car and drove away and he was still alive when she left. Which, so either she is the most horrible person in the world, um, leaving Gavin there to be beaten, or they're lying. Mm -hmm. I think she was there and present for the murder, but because it would have, it would have, she would have been charged differently if she had been. Mm -hmm. um, Then they, so they lied about it. I think John. Lied about the participation of both the other two people who might well have been with him because why would John have been so super powerful that he could beat this guy to death mm-hmm. on his own mm-hmm. unless he just walked up and hit him in the head with the tire iron, which doesn't seem to have been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he brought the other two people. I think they arrived and I think they beat him to death on the spot, mm. the three of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that he lied about the participation of the other two people and Chandy being present for it so that only he would take the sentence that he got.
0: Can I ask you another detail oriented question? He's already in prison when this goes to trial, right? Or has he gotten out on the drug charge and he's tried when he's free from that?
1: I I, that, I was not entirely clear yeah. about that. It seemed like then when they went to interview him, he was in prison. Didn't yes. They?
0: It did seem like that, but and I, he was like,
1: "I'm done talking to you." They had him shipped to wherever they were, and he wasn't very helpful because mm-hmm. they they ask him before they get before she totally cops to the um, the whole crime. There's mm-hmm. a there's a level of the investigation where they just find out that he's that that, that he's the owner of the um, the mm-hmm. car, and so they bring him in for questioning. In his orange jumpsuit, and he's not particularly cooperative, and so they send him back to prison. So I had the impression that he was sort of continuously in prison, that he had gone to prison subsequent to doing the murder, because it's several years by the time we get to this point in the investigation. Yeah. He had ultimately gone to prison on other charges. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, subsequent to doing the murder itself. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, I think he was still there the whole time, but that was not entirely clear. In any case, afterwards, he went back. If he was, well, if he had managed to get out. He, but he did, but before
0: he did. then, he does something that we almost never see people do on specials of this sort, which is he testified in his own defense. It's very rare that an accused murderer will testify in their own defense because they can so easily say something incriminating and they have to be cross-examined and but but it was a
1: good call in this case because he was trying to present himself as uh, he was trying to make it a crime of passion
0: exactly he was the murder was an act of passion triggered by the sight of seeing another man literally sleeping with his wife in front of him when he approached the car where they both were so and he's found innocent of first degree murder and gets sent away for 11 years for what's called voluntary manslaughter. What the fuck is I voluntary manslaughter? It was involuntary. involuntary. I, I thought, thought it was no, even involuntary. No, I rolled it back. I rolled it back. I'm pretty sure it was voluntary because I was like, wait a minute, involuntary? And I'm like, what is voluntary
1: manslaughter? Maybe I'm wrong, but I, you know. I thought it was involuntary because he beat him to death. He wasn't planning to kill him, but he did. And. But it, he did. The reason he attacked him was because he was all head up about finding him screwing his wife in the back of his car. Uh, what do you think about that defense? I mean, like Jesus Christ, like. Well, I mean, it's not a pre. It it what he proved was that it wasn't premeditated. Okay. He didn't go there with the intent of killing a guy. He went there following his wife and found her screwing somebody, mm-hmm. and then killed the guy. Like he lost so, his mind, yeah. He lost his mind and it was bad, but it wasn't premeditated, which, you know, at least makes it second degree. And in this case, they managed to get it down to either voluntary or involuntary manslaughter. I don't know which. I I don't think he was beating him. I think he managed to convince them that he was beating him, but without the intent to kill him. Right. That he was just physically assaulting him because he was angry and really upset about the whole sleeping with his wife thing. Although, and this is, as I said
0: earlier, this is where we got pictures of the real players and we get a picture of John Creech. Um, I don't think we ever see a picture of the real Chandy. I think pictures of Gavin abound. I don't think we saw pictures of the family, but I'm just going to say this. This is one of those rare specials where the real people were way better looking than their reenactors. Normally it's the reverse, you know? Oh so, yeah. Yeah. It's
1: um, yeah. Yeah. This okay. was a beautiful Hollywood crime,
0: and that's why I had seen it covered before. It's not that many twists. It's not that fascinating, but it was probably easy for media companies to cover because it was here and it was forever, and they managed to turn it into a national news story. I think Wally was still missing. I think they covered that. Yeah, at one the point. missing
1: part was the thing that kept, um, that kept the story alive. Because. Yeah. He was this, you know, family man, executive, movie industry, looked like that former basketball star, at UCLA, former model. Like it was there was a lot of um visually interesting aspects to the crime that kind of kept it alive and then people in town were speculating about it because it was like where did this guy go? Do you remember this? Like, I lived here. I don't remember oh, yeah, this. Oh, yeah? You did? I remember it happening. I remember yeah. it from the, uh, from the time. Like, I don't remember this being the outcome. Like, mm-hmm. by the time the outcome happened, I think I had lost the thread. Mm-hmm. Because I remember having my own thoughts about, hmm.
0: What were your thoughts?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, like, where did he go? Right. Yeah. You did know, he run off? What kind right. of... Right. What was the thing with the, um, you know, like, so he can't make it work with the wife and they keep breaking up and he is this good looking guy who Mm -hmm. goes missing, you know, and whatever. And I'm like, Hmm.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: was he going to meet his boyfriend? Was he going to gay subculture? Was he, you know, like I thought there was, it was a double life kind of thing that was being implied in the media. Mm -hmm. um, When they were, you know, talking about where did he go? Because, His disappearance was so um, uneventful, like there was no real, there was no real sense of him being the kind of guy who would just disappear. He was this stand-up movie executive who just wasn't there the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was no real explanation. So then everybody's speculation really sort of picked up.
0: I, and i definitely think it's one of those cases of the the outcome not being covered as much as the initial crime was you know that suspense of a missing person's case seems to capture the media's attention more than a trial if the details of the murder that are being placed into contention at trial aren't that salacious or exciting i mean this is really i don't mean to diminish the murder of gavin but in terms of We do make decisions about which victims have value based on who we give our attention to. That's something we've dealt with on the Billy Newton murder. Was there not enough attention paid because this was a gay sex worker in 1990? And this got a lot of attention initially and maybe not in the end. And I think there was, there would seem to be some level of sympathy from the jury, at least, for John over the trauma of seeing his man sleeping with another wife. I mean, ultimately what you have is a victim who was sleeping with another man's wife. And that certainly doesn't justify murder, but it does manipulate a different set of emotions in a very specific way.
1: (laughs) And that was what I think putting him on the stand was about was trying to create that sort of impression. The other impression that I had um, was that John was not unknown to Gavin Yeah. Like, I saw him as being part of their, his recovery circle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, like, it seemed like that was, all of this was happening within the context of his recovery circle. Yeah. Um, That the two guys who helped him, her... John, all of those people were people who were known to Gavin through their own ins and outs of recovery from addiction. Like, yeah. I think that's what brought those people together. So there was more familiarity with each other in the end. Yeah, it's um, man uh, kills lover of cheating wife. I mean, like, yeah, that's while that is certainly not a good choice, and mm-hmm. certainly, um not a desirable outcome and not something that's it's certainly not okay Mm -hmm. um but it's also not after the exotic explanations that were being developed around his disappearance stretching on for several years Mm -hmm. um it it seemed mundane yes it was very kitchen sink drama by the time it got to court which i guess is why they just sort of dropped it i was part of the reason i want i um suggested this story aside from the March Madness tie-in and our, you know, commitment to basketball. Um <laughs> yeah. Right? There was they played basketball in the first scene. That's it. Um, and there was and one photograph
0: to, of him from his basketball days, you know, like a a posed sports photograph. That was it.
1: Not bad, which was yeah. not bad. Um and yeah, he did go talk to the trainer to try and get tips on somebody having his ankle broken. During we think the, uh, that anyway. was a black and white speculative
0: reenactment, but yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. But the fam, the code on this though, is that but Gavin's I'm part sorry, of the reason that I suggested it um, to begin with was that I was interested in finding out how it had come out because oh. I really didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, I remembered the, him going missing and I didn't know that it had ever been solved. And so I was thinking, I even had some of the, fantasy notions in my head of you know what i had imagined or what had been speculated about back during the the heat of when he first went missing and when that was still the hot story.
0: Yeah. I I will say on the tail end of this, they revealed that after the trial, Gavin's family left Los Angeles. They just didn't want to be in the city anymore. And I, you know, I I guess I can understand this is such an LA story and it's not, that's not a way of saying it's fascinating or engrossing, but like worked in the film industry, UCLA basketball recovery is a big thing here. 12 step programs are like a second Los Angeles, you know, like it was so everything about it was so LA and, You know, the beautiful young woman and her, yeah, and her handsome drug running husband. It was just, it was a very LA story. So, um, next week, we're doing something. It's
1: not necessarily different. It's not. (laughs) And that's it for them. (laughs) (laughs) We feel just terrible. We're never talking about it again. And um, in terms of the series itself, like, I'm not sure if I would go back. I might give them one more chance, but the the overuse of dramatization in lieu of um, archive photographs or footage and uh, uh, the actual players, interviews with the actual players and... I didn't think was a big win for. I um, agree. For perfect, I but for Judge, perfect murder, those
0: talking heads. I I want I, as you said. I want to see Hot Bench, the show hosted by Judge Patricia. DeMongo, I want to at least
1: know was, what the hell it means. Yeah. Hot Bench. That's yeah. just like what the hell could that anyway?
0: Judges who yeah, commit that, sex crimes. I don't know. Sounds
1: like it sounds like a porn movie. So
0: next week. We're doing something a little bit different. We're going to talk about an enti- a short-run true crime series that aired recently on NBC. It's from the producers of Dateline, but it's not technically a Dateline episode. It's called The Widower, and it's three episodes. We're, it's not going to technically be a true crime TV club because we're not going to take you blow by blow through a single episode or even every episode. We're going to try to adopt more of a what we call in the business a 30,000-foot view. <laughs> I don't know what business well, I'm talking about. One but of whatever. the things,
1: like. One of the things that has been happening a lot lately is there are a lot more of these true crime miniseries that are coming out. We covered the Michelle McNamara, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. We mm-hmm. talked about that. We just, I think that it's an important because we love true crime and we do true crime TV club and true crime movie time. So we thought that true crime miniseries were also something we wanted to begin to touch on. There are several out there. They're very popular. And like we, we talked about, um, what was it called the 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 tiger king, king. tiger king mm-hmm. we talked about tiger king so yeah this seemed this was a and and it's been a while since we've um looked in on dateline so i was i'm interested to to have a look at what dateline's been up to and it's a three part series so But if you're looking for it, it's not. this threw me
0: off. It's not technically a Dateline episode. If you're a Peacock subscriber or you're on the NBC app, this is its own show. It's called The Widower. But it looks like it was a passion project for a Dateline producer because it takes place over years. And they follow it from the beginning. I mean,
1: and they had been filming and interviewing the people for years. For 10 years? Longer. A long time. Really rather astonishing, sort of what you would call it. And it looks like it's available on... NBC news mhm you know like with commercials the that that app as well as through peacock right whenever we do something
0: that's network-based here in America. I know we have a lot of listeners from Australia and outside the country, so forgive us for being so America-centric. But the network stuff, NBC, ABC, CBS, that's usually easily found on the internet with commercials, if you're willing to put up with the commercials. And then the subscription services or whatever. You'll have a hard time finding that on Amazon or Apple TV or all those sort of things. But the bulk of what we talk about, these little standalone one-hour specials, those are usually on Apple TV or Amazon or you can sort of rent them or purchase an episode um, from your platform Of choice What are we going to call this thing That's the thing We have true crime movie time We have true crime TV club Now we need something For a true crime deep dive And I don't know if that's it But true crime buffet Table True Crime.
1: I know. don't know. So tune in next week and yeah. find. Out, <laughs> find out what it is we decide to call this because now is not the time to make that decision.
0: <laughs> now is not the time True Crime. That's what we're going to call it. Right.
1: Now is not the time crime. Um yeah, no. Um <laughs> True Crime Overtime.
0: (laughs) True Crime Overtime. Okay, that's one we can think about. I kind of like that. I
1: think I may be voting for True Crime Overtime because it's extra episodes. It goes into extra innings. Another sports term. Can you stand it? How butch is this podcast? We're (laughs) turning
0: into a sports and cooking show here at TDPS Presents Christopher Eric Well. Until next time and forever after. I'm Christopher Rice. And
1: I'm Eric shaw <laughs>
0: And Eric nodded off there. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks! This is TDPS.